Talk about the worst possible like superhero. Like the clapper. The clapper. It, All he does is like have supersonic claps. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, you put it that way, that's not half bad. But. but I feel like he could just wouldn't be able to control it. So like he would clap to kill, like get rid of a villain and he would just down half a city. Right. And then there goes Manhattan. Yeah. It's like the classic superhero who can't like do anything good because he yeah. just does too much bad on top of it. I feel like it's either that or he's just like the most positive guy that he claps for any single success. <laughs> he's like, just like the hype guy. He's yeah. not actually like a hero at right, all. Right, right. Like you sharpen a pencil and he's in the background like. Oh, that'd be amazing. That's probably weird. But they, but they give him like a superhero suit and invite him to all the meetings and stuff. Oh, I hope they give him the coolest one too, like a nice red yes, on black. That would be so good. He gets like super cool gloves. That's like his whole thing is how cool his gloves are. And has the best voice too, like the deepest, like just that classic, like, I'm here to save the city. He's, he's definitely like, like the face of the organization because he's just like the good looking, charismatic guy. He's oh, always positive. <laughs> he is just public relations. Like whenever something bad happens, like he's out in front addressing yeah. the press. It's like the Avengers 2 where they destroy like half of that town when they're trying to defeat the the bad guys or whatever and then then it starts like a whole like international thing of how should we let these people get away with this anymore but it's just him trying to defend the avengers that is very true oh that'd be funny wow that was a (laughs) quite the side tangent honestly i love the episode i love our brains we just kind of kind of go wherever we we worked off each other on that one hello everybody welcome to the gems of history podcast I'm your host, Jacob Shop, and joining me, I have Evan Roosh. What is going on? Just the two of us. I don't know the words. I don't either. I was going to join in. I'm like, I know probably less of this song than he does. Yeah, all I know is the you and I at the, at the <laughs> that's end. That's all you need. Yep. If you're joining us for the first time, uh, welcome. We are a podcast that does some history research and tries to make it a little fun and entertaining for you so you can learn something and have a few laughs along the way so we like to cover some little more obscure stuff maybe something you never heard or maybe something you've heard of and just never deep dove into so gems if you will if you will (laughs) so sorry for anyone that thought we were just going to be covering the history of like limestone yeah whatever of blood go, diamonds. Just go back like seven months to the bar crawl when we were trying to explain to people what we were. And everyone's like, so you talk about rocks, right? No. No, we don't. Yeah, we would literally just explain what we do, topics we've covered. And they're like, but like the rocks. Yeah. It's like, how are you this interested on rocks? Yeah, seriously. Do you want us to be a podcast about rocks? Like, like, would you listen if yeah. we were a podcast about rocks? Do we need to switch our target demographic? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but anyways, thank you for joining us today. I think we got some fun stuff to talk about. Probably some of the most confusing webs of interaction that I've ever had to try and follow. Yeah, we mentioned that uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia scene where they're at like the cork board with like red string. It's like just Pepe Sylvia, Pepe Sylvia. If you're fans of that show, you know what I'm talking about. Like it's just the interconnected web of names. Also, some of the strongest names I think we've had on this podcast. Also, some of the most preposterous things I've ever heard. Definitely. (laughs) But uh, yeah, really excited to dive into this one. Um, 
case you haven't seen the title for whatever reason. <laughs> I always think about that. I'm like, man, we really try and hype these up at the beginning, even though yeah. it says the title of what we're doing. <laughs> I always come into every episode thinking like everyone's listened to every single episode we've done. Yeah. And that they know exactly what we're about to talk about. So. Yeah, pretty much. But also, Spotify lets you rate people by like five, like one to five stars now. So if you haven't rated us on there, rate us on there as well as on Apple Podcast because you can do both now, and that helps us out. So you'd really appreciate it. But anyways, yeah, today we're going to be talking about the origins of the American Mafia. We're going to talk a little bit about how it started over in Europe and kind of just. The overall beginnings of how organized crime came to be, not really what it is today because mm-hmm. it kind of got disbanded in the end, but it's still around a little bit, but in its heyday, it was just wild times. Yeah, it was insane researching this one because, again, the names, yeah. the names were incredible. Every time you hear someone that has a nickname or a different name that people call them, you got to just take a drink. I don't care if you're listening to this at three in the morning, just go do it because- yep. there's gonna be a lot of them yeah (laughs) but yeah it's just super and we'll also be covering um just or just talking about some of the comparisons of uh different times you know we'll be talking about the prohibition and comparing that to other things as well as just the motivations between like starting these different gangs um so really excited to dive in yeah i I didn't know really anything about this, as is usual with some of the topics you bring to me, and I feel like it's vice versa, like I'll bring you something that you have no idea. That's why it's just a dynamic duo. It's but the best. Before we start, I did actually, uh, this was a listener suggestion, fun enough, so shout out my brother Eric. Shout uh, out. He, he uh, sent me this idea and thought it would be a great idea to cover, so... Shout out him. I was when you brought this up to me, I was just like, what are we just gonna spend ten hours trying to cover the history of the mob? But honestly, there's a lot of sources out there that do a really good job of like really boiling it down to mm. like what you need to know. So we're gonna do like I'll call this an overview of the American mafia, but mm-hmm. there's so much out there that you can go into further if you guys wanted to. But I think this will be a good starting point and you'll kinda need to know. What you need to know. <laughs> right. We're going to try to cover 140 years of American history and hopefully under like an hour and a half. Yeah. An American crime history. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good luck. Right. But uh, without further ado. What, what do you got for sources over there, big man? You are just the... Thank you. Because <laughs> I have I all the same ones time. as you do, pretty much, except for I use the YouTube video from the channel Kings and Generals. Right. Yeah. I would legit forget the name of my sources every single time. How did I get through college? So it was uh, Britannica.com, uh, SHU.edu, GangRule.com, good old History.com, and then a book Whoa. that I took quotes from, didn't fully read. <laughs> it is Five Families, The Rise, Decline, and Resurgence of America's Most Powerful Mafia Empires by Selwyn Robb. I've heard that's like the book to read if you want to like know more about the oh, like the the different intricacies of the entire mafias like web of crime and all that. All right, shout out him, and also shout out I, me. At least right I've, every time I've like heard listened to anything about the mafia, it's always like referenced. So it's got to be good for something, right? There we go. Nice. But as many of you, of course, know, you know, the American mafia has just been an incredible fascination, as just as organized crime always has been. 
in movies, video games, you know, of course, podcasts. Example A, The Gems of History, is doing a full episode on it. <laughs> I heard they're pretty cool. Yeah, big fans, big fans. But, uh, like, for example, some, like, Oscar-winning movies, you know, Public Enemies with Johnny Depp, uh, Gangs of New York with Daniel Day-Lewis, Leonardo DiCaprio, um, some video games, you know, there's a bunch that I am now blanking on. <laughs> wow, that is bad. Well, and of course we have, like, The Godfather and Goodfellas, Scarface, all of that, so there's plenty of content in the media out there i'm sure everyone over 40 listening is probably just screaming at me like how did you not say the godfather first <laughs> right. it's kind of implied right but uh this a lot like alongside you know other topics that we've talked about like viking samurai etc just has been a few a huge fascination of the american public uh the mafia like we mentioned spanned close to 140 years of not only american history but they did have their roots in italy of course but over a hundred years of just ruling the quote unquote underworld of America. And in my opinion, and don't take this the wrong way when I say the American dream, but having their own version of the American dream, a very illegal version yeah. of the American dream. But it is. I mean, a lot of these guys that started like underworld very much so. Like mm-hmm. they, they were very under the radar disenfranchised people for the most part and then it went from that to them being like public figures so right it, yeah it very much swapped it's like there's a turning point where it all changes but yeah it's that's a good way to put it th- i mean i mean it's it was the we'll get into it more later but this is the huge time of when the mafia started was a huge uh time like the great immigration when so many different people were Coming to the United States uh, from th- throughout the world, you know, we'll be talking about like Irish gangs, um, Italian gangs, of course. It was their way to legit make money fast and get out of kind of pull themselves up by the bootstraps and make something of themselves. Not contoning gang crime, gang violence, and organized crime, but yeah, you have to kind of make that distinction as well that they were trying to, you know make better lives I, I love how we're both like man this is these guys are bad but we're both so excited about it because it's it's right. fascinating like because this is the same time when ellis island the mm-hmm. major immigration hub opened up like right around when all these people started coming over and they're coming into a society that's largely puritanical as it had that's what america's roots were and it kind of carried into the 1900s and then all of these people pretty much got denied jobs because yep. they were looked at as they weren't in the, the they weren't in the club, I guess you could say. They were just like they're outsiders. So a lot of people wouldn't hire them for jobs or would just like hire them and pay them way less. It was just discrimination all over the board. Not much has changed. <laughs> no, honestly, Damn, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. When you put it that way, like still facing a lot of those same issues today. So, fun fact. Giuseppe Esposito, strong name from the start. Mm-hmm. Like, when I was just reading through all these names, for real, how did we get so gypped on our names? Like, no offense to my parents, but, like, I got Evan, and we have Giuseppe Esposito here. Well, yeah, because, like, literally, I have some in my notes because all of these people were coming over, and they didn't want to be discriminated against. They wanted to be like, hey, I'm American. I'm not yeah. like, Italian or, like, mm-hmm. wherever they were from. So they would change their names to Americanize them. So like one guy, his name was P- 
Paulio Antonio Vaccarelli. So strong. And he changed it to Paul Kelly. No. It's like, Ooh. that is so much more lame than yeah. your original name. But Man. And it just sucks, too, because like, in a situation like that, it's pretty much stripping your identity. You have to become someone else to just to satisfy these people so you can live. To have a job. You yeah. Know? But uh, anyway, good old Giuseppe. Well, not good old. But Giuseppe Esposito, uh, he's known as the first known mafia member to emigrate to the United States. He and six other Sicilians, which we'll talk a little bit more in depth about the Sicilian mafia later, fled to New York after murdering the chancellor and vice chancellor of a Sicilian province and 11 wealthy landowners. So to put that in perspective, they killed the governor as well as, like, the backup governor. And then let's compare it to, like, 11 of the wealthiest people in the region. Uh, they were, he was then arrested in New Orleans in 1881 and extradited to Italy. However, New Orleans was the site of the first major mafia incident in the United States. On October 15, 1890, New Orleans Police Superintendent David Hennessy was murdered execution style. Now, hundreds of Sicilians were gathered up and arrested, and 19 of them were actually indicted for a murder. An acquittal generated rumors of widespread bribery and intimidated witnesses. Outraged citizens of New Orleans organized a lynch mob and killed 11 of the 19 defendants. So, 19 were indicted for murder, but they weren't you know, immediately executed or held responsible for their crimes which kind of led to, there were rumors of, oh, the mafia bribed them or intimidated the different witnesses. So a lynch mob was formed, and 11 out of 19 were killed. Two of them were hung, nine were shot, but the remaining eight escaped. Yeah, I mean, it's fair to assume that they probably did bribe someone, but... They were very much known. doesn't condone street justice and killing 11 people. No. <laughs> if we if we stand for one thing on this podcast, it's uh <laughs> it's not murdering 11 people. <laughs> yes. But like even before the like the official mafia started, there's a bunch of gangs that started primarily around the New York area because that's where all the immigration was pretty much coming through. And so like even in the the 30s there were some gangs popping up and a lot of them were Irish gangs because that was the primary disenfranchised group of people in the United States at the time. They were all kind of living in slums, so they didn't really have it very, very good, and they wanted to fight against this like class oppression. So the biggest one that popped up was a gang known as the Dead Rabbits, which kind of a sick name. Very cool. And so they wanted to pretty much show that they deserved equality in like this pretty discriminatory environment. And their main rivals, who were called the Bowery Boys, were a xenophobic group of American-born nativists led by Bill the Butcher Pool. So these guys are very much against any immigrants. So mm-hmm. they're like, we cannot let these people rise up and immediately went to go knock them back down. And so the two groups fought back and forth. They fought Primarily just in the streets, like literally Mm -hmm. hand to hand with knives, axes. Sometimes they had muskets, pretty much anything they could find to beat the other people to death with. Yeah. (laughs) Like, go for it. So keep in mind, like hospitals were not great back then. So if you (laughs) lost an arm, it was just chilling in the streets and 
That's your life. It's You're probably going to bleed out or get gangrene. It's the scene from Anchorman when all of the <laughs> different crews get together and start to, like, they had tridents and shit. Like, that's mm-hmm. pr- pretty much what it was. It was a free-for-all with whatever you could find. Like, torches and pitchfork kind of yeah. shit. So, this isn't, like, organized crime mafia or anything. This is pretty much just, like, they want to make their stake in America. And this was their only way they could see to do it at this point. So one of the leaders of the Dead Rabbits, whose name was John Old Smoke Morrissey, who he was a professional boxer, but he kind of emerged as one of the top guys in the Dead Rabbits. And so he had Bill the Butcher Poole gunned down as a statement against anti-Irish activism. So kind of making a statement saying, like, we can kill your leaders because we are also like worthy of being here mm. and we want to make a point. Obviously, shouldn't kill people. <laughs> you shouldn't have to kill people. But I guess like yeah. when you're kind of down like this bad, I guess you take drastic measures, not condoning what they did. I'm but, sure it was in their minds they're probably the only option. Yeah. I mean, there was a legitimate group formed primarily based on keeping you down and keep in point or keep in mind like this is in the five points area yeah of new york which was very a very run down like they kind of just put all the immigrants all in one area yeah. and said you guys figure it out yeah it was like just the slum area like yeah. they got forced into the worst area like with no room for advancement pretty much because mm-hmm. they see someone coming out of that area to try and get a job like in the city they're like no we're not gonna hire you yeah so after he had Bill Poole gunned down. He like ran a bunch of different criminal enterprises, like horse betting and gambling, pretty much just anything he could do to make money. And he eventually got super like popular, or his establishments got super popular. And even on the list of names of people that visited, he had like the Rockefellers on there and like future presidents on there. So a lot of people were going to this guy's places. Mm-hmm. So he was really making a name for himself now, coming from basically nothing. And he eventually like got help from the Democratic Party or which was at the time known as Tammany Hall, which is like the organized group of Democrats in the area. And he was elected to Congress in eighteen sixty seven. So he went from being the leader of the Dead Rabbits and a boxer to being in Congress. I'm just picturing like a a session of Congress and this man proposes something. And then someone on the other side does like a filibuster or like stands to try to do a filibuster and just the glare that he probably gave him like, no, you sit down. Like I've murdered multiple people. Yeah, I I could beat you to death with my bare hands right now. Right. And no one will wink or blink. But this is like a huge step because this is putting people in power. Like this is kind of the beginnings of the mafia as it will Mm -hmm. come to be known because now they have a say in politics. And, uh, after he got into Congress, he pretty much used strong arm tactics to look out for the poor Irishmen who he was representing at this point. But there was always felonies being committed, and it kind of became the norm because people saw, well, he did it to get to where he is now, so why, what's stopping us from doing the same thing? So that kind of pushed this organized, more organized aspect of crime to the forefront. And then once the 1900s rolled around with all these new migrants coming in and needing to make a place for themselves, there's new gangs that popped up. One of them was the Eastman Gang, headed by a man named Monk Eastman, that was made up mostly of young Jewish people. Mm. So there's Irish gangs, there's Jewish gangs, soon-to-be Italian and Sicilian gangs, 
So now all of these nationalities are coming and forming groups. And right now it's all separate for the most part, but eventually they do mix and start forming different, different groups all together. And the Eastman gang was pretty much a player in all aspects of crime. They did a lot of prostitution, extortion, bribes, all the good stuff. <laughs> all the classics. Yeah, you know, pretty much. Play the hits. But uh, at the same time as the Eastman gang forming, the man that I mentioned earlier, Paulio Antonio Vaccarelli, or Paul Kelly, uh, he was forming his own gang of Italians. And so this is where the Italians kind of first pop up in organized crime or the gang warfare of this time period. Mm -hmm. So he kind of changed it up and he styled himself as like a distinguished gentleman. He wore nice clothing, but he was also a flyweight boxer. So there's a lot of people that are making a name for themselves in boxing. And so once he got famous as a boxer, he set up different brothels and clubs and pretty much helped set up the Italian mob in New York. So he was pretty much responsible for the beginnings of what would come to be known as the mafia. So pretty big deal. Gotta love the poor boxers just finding new lines of work, apparently. Yeah, that's literally, <laughs> literally just beat people up and then you can get a name for yourself. Like it was so much go. different back then. <laughs> right. But, uh, so Eastman and Kelly pretty much fought in the streets again, like the Dead Rabbits and the Bowery Boys did at the beginning. And at this point, the the government in New York was like, we can't really have street wars right now. Like, we need to do something else to settle this. <laughs> so, like, here's the deal. You guys can go box it out. So whoever wins the boxing match, that's who wins this war. And they got in the ring. Uh with Paul Kelly being this flyweight boxer. And I don't know, I don't know if Monk Eastman even like knew how to box, but they just went back and forth trading blows for two hours. And Holy neither cow. neither one went down. So they just considered it a draw. So <laughs> there's nothing was settled. It was just an excuse for these guys to beat the crap out of each other. That is so odd. Like I want that made into a movie pronto. Like, The Games of New York is a great movie, like we mentioned before. It kind of depicts a little bit of this, but I need this version. Yeah. So bad. It's so funny. It's literally just these two guys, four hours, hitting each other back and forth, and then eventually just like, no one's going to win. Uh, do they do rounds, or are they I just hate, like, have at it? I have no idea. That is so beautiful. But I love that. That's I, I can just see them at the end just exhausted, just like, given these lackadaisical yeah. swings. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, All right, no one wins. Both were eventually pretty much in the pocket of the Democrats after this because they, I, I don't know if they kind of respected each other after that, and they're just like, you know, good on you. Like, yeah. you're, doing, you're doing all right. But eventually the Democrats, like, used these guys to help push their political agendas, and this is where a lot of bribery, extortion, voter fraud, all of those classics come into play. <laughs> Again, play the hits. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much like the early, early beginnings of where mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff started. And then as Evan's going to go into, we'll, we'll get into like where it started over in Europe, in mm -hmm. Italy and Sicily, and how those guys got their start across the sea and then came over here and pretty much mimicked that in America. So Right. Yeah. And that's why we want to cover all this. Just give all you listeners a clear picture of what america was like at this time as well as now i'm about to go into the european side of things but it was over there too and then these people came over to america and they're like oh we have to do kind of the same things to, to survive so it's it's like 
pretty much uh, a more urban wild west in many ways. Perfectly said. Yeah, I definitely. It's agree just with that. lawlessness and like mm-hmm. anyone for themselves. So even involving like high-ranking politicians. Oh yeah. I mean, it anyone and everyone participated in this. Very much so. It's now getting to the Sicilian part of things. So, as you all know, the Mafia is that network of organized crime groups, uh, of course, based in America, but also in Italy, and more specifically, Sicily, which is an island by Italy. It's the boot. (laughs) Now you have a good picture, right? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So, Sicily was ruled until the mid-19th century by a long line of foreign invaders, going back to the Phoenicians. So it went the Phoenicians, the Romans, throwbacks, like the Romans, Romans, like the ones that got Jesus. Like they had then, a crazy Spotify wrapped over this, no this little period of time. <laughs> and then it went uh, to the Arabs, to the French, to the Spanish. So tons of different uh, world powers at different times were ruling this island and not treating people well uh, at all. To the point where Sicilians had to form groups just to simply protect themselves from both the invaders as well as other regional, uh, what, what would become mafia groups, uh, just to carry out their own forms of justice because the invaders, the occupying forces, they did not care about these people. It was simply just to hold the land, hold the island, because it was a great spot in the Mediterranean, primarily for that trade aspect. Oh, definitely. And so as long as uh, money was coming in, goods and, um, or excuse me, imports, exports were coming in, they didn't care if, you know, someone's house burnt down or like was burnt down due to arson, something like that. And this is where we officially get the term mafioso, which had no criminal connotations at the start. And translated to acting as a protector against the arrogance of the powerful. It's very much the rich staying rich and not Mm. looking out for anyone but themselves. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Uh, These individual groups later became known as distinct clans or families. So, as you may know, uh, the Italian mafia is very much broken up by families. And that's kind of what the names of those different mafia groups are. Like we talked about the Dead Rabbits. As their own group, instead of being known as like the Dead Rabbits, it would be known as the De Aquila uh, Mafia family, which we'll talk about later. Um, or the Gambinos. Or the right? Gambinos. A lot of people yes. know the Gambinos. So. Mm-hmm. Or the Capones. I mean, there's that. Yeah. There's, yeah. <laughs> um, by the 19th century, uh, these small private armies, known as, again, Mafia, took advantage of the frequently violent, chaotic conditions in Sicily and began a long reign of extortion uh, from primarily the wealthy landowners, so the people that had crops who were basically just farmers, saying, if you don't give us money, you are going to have a terrible harvest, and we might kill your children, but yeah, that's your fam- you. Your family may die. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is where the Sicilian mafia started becoming those criminal clans and families. Then, in 1861, Sicily becomes a province of the recently unified Italy. The Italian government then tried to get its hands on the chaotic situation in Sicily, but were met by unprejudiced violence to anything (laughs) they tried to do. Yeah. 
uh, it got so bad that Italian officials asked, actually asked certain Sicilian mafia clans to help with these efforts by going after uh, and banding together against the most dangerous uh, independent criminal mafia bands. And it's and crazy it, that it starts this early with like mm-hmm. the them getting a pardon from public officials because mm-hmm. they're like we cannot we can't really control you guys so we really just need you guys to help us and then yeah. we'll give you a pardon. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh they in my source they said in exchange they would just completely look away from mafia activity, never bother them, just let them do their thing and as long as they could help them get apparently the Worse bad guys. Uh, the government ironically thought that this arrangement would be temporary, lasting just long enough for them to get their yeah, hands on Yeah, just a couple days. Hey, just yeah. a couple days. But then the mafia expanded their criminal activity and ingrained <laughs> themselves in Sicilian and Italian politics and became staples of the economy, controlling a major portion of trade. Nice. Uh, the mafia became so adept at political corruption and intimidated people to vote for their candidates. So you're kind of seeing the same thing uh, which we talked about earlier uh, at the five points being done here. Weird. There's there's like people putting other people in power. Like <laughs> that's so weird that that happened. I don't think I don't can't believe that. How does that happen? Like it doesn't happen today. No, I'm glad that that. We finally said no more. <laughs> yeah, it's not like people who have like a lot of money can just be like, hey, you might want to think about doing it this way. Or anything. right. Like, nah, that doesn't happen. No, people don't bribe and extort people. No, today. no, no. Don't trust your government kids. Society is perfect now. <laughs> uh, even the Catholic Church. Uh, got the involved. Catholic Church did something shady. What? what? <laughs> surprisingly no one's learning anything new they're like yeah that makes sense yeah (laughs) (laughs) the catholic church uh hired mafia clans during this period as well uh relying them to monitor their massive property holdings in sicily and to keep tenant farmers in line because you can't have any unions coming out it's literally all about money even in the holy catholic church yeah shocker we tear apart the Catholic Church. Hey, man. Hey, we're <laughs> so, just saying that. We're just saying history. But uh, this is also the time period where some funky traditions, uh, specifically like recruitment traditions, started coming into play for the mafia. So to really ingrain their members into the certain families or clans, they started conducting these initiation ceremonies where they would swear secret oaths of loyalty. And this would have so many different versions uh, or ways that it took place, whether it's like a blood oath, you know, talking about like children, you know, there's just so many different or like offering up a child, something like that. Sure. So many different ways to do this. But the most important and kind of the only real rule of mafia in Sicily, as well as transferred to uh, the American side of things, was this concept of omerta. And now kids remember this because this is the main reason why no one wanted to talk to the cops. (laughs) So Amerta is the all-important code of conduct, basically reflecting the Sicilian belief that a person should never, under any circumstances, go to government authorities to seek justice for a crime and never cooperate with authorities investigating any wrongdoing. And I kind of briefly touched on this when we did our episode Mm -hmm. on the art theft 
of the uh the Gardner Museum because when they tried to like go into these mafia controlled areas to kind of question people and see if they could figure anything out all of the people that lived in those areas kind of understood this concept that they don't talk to the cops. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't get any information because all these people were like, oh, the cops are coming. And then either they would just go inside and not let the cops in or the people that did talk to the cops are just like, I don't got to talk. I don't got anything to say to you. I don't know who that is. Mm -hmm. Pretty much just covering for people. Like they said, you could, they could see someone walk into a bar and get shot. And then when the cops come, they could say they didn't see who did it. So it's it's very it's very much so a system of justice that's controlled by everyone who lives there rather mm-hmm. than the people in authority. This is where the phrase snitches get stitches. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was I mean, keep in mind over 100 years the Italian mafia was able to run pretty unopposed by the American government, the Sicilian government, the Italian government. Until someone finally broke, which we'll get into later. Yeah. I just listened to a podcast about Richard Kuklinski, who is mm. known as the Iceman. He was pretty much just an independent contract solid, assassin. Solid nickname. Yeah. So he, But he was just like an independent contract assassin for the mafia because they were like, well, you're not in a family. Mm-hmm. So we're going to like all of them could hire him separately without having any conflict between them because they're like, well, he's just the guy that yeah. we hire. So. But everyone knew he was so good at what he did, so he made a name for himself by just being good at killing people for the mob. <laughs> Ice so, man. Yeah. <laughs> no relation to Frozone, just uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Very different moral values. Yes. <laughs> uh, then in the 1920s, one Benito Mussolini came into power for the Italian government. And he would never do anything bad. Yep, never did anything wrong. Except, kids, he uh, saw this... with Hitler. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that too. I wasn't going to bring that one up. <laughs> but he had no time for these uh, mafia gangsters doing their shenanigans and launched a extremely brutal crackdown on anyone that he just believed to be a mobster. So if your last name coincided with, you know, the mafia name, that's tough. Sorry. <laughs> It's kind of just what happened. I mean, I respect the the drive to like control this scenario because it's not good. Yeah, like you shouldn't have roving gangs of people that are having their own justice mm-hmm. done in the streets. But you also should should be like a little more conservative right. about it, I guess. It's like we don't condone we don't uh, condone uh, street gangs, organized crime. Or dictators, just so you know, like, where we stand morally. Yeah, (laughs) we're very much in the middle. Yes. (laughs) However, this did not wipe out the mafia. And in fact, all, I shouldn't say all, but a large majority of the construction efforts, especially the construction companies that rebuilt all of world post-World War II Sicily and Italy, were run by the mob. So they got rich again and started their <laughs> started on their stuff again. Um, and then the next few decades, and even still to today, I assume, uh, the Sicilian, the Sicilian uh, mafia is flourishing, expanded its criminal empire, and in the 70s became a major player in international narcotics trafficking. Yay. Drugs. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, this, it, 
the American mafia very much had its roots in Sicily. Mm-hmm. Like that's where all of this really developed into a system that they knew that they could pretty much publicly use. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't have to hide in the in the underworld anymore. They could just do it mm-hmm. in the open because they knew how to manipulate and bribe their way into a, a system of safety. So it it it's very important that this happened here and then got pushed over here. Like that's mm-hmm. how all of this came to be. If they wouldn't have had any opposition over there, they would have just stayed there. Right. But the fact that Mussolini did start cracking down pushed them to move. And they were like, we got to get out of here. <laughs> Let's go to America. Yeah. America. <laughs> the Star Spangled Banner and all that. Yeah. <laughs> so like we mentioned, uh, this was a incredible time of immigration for the United States, not just for Italian immigrants, but for people of all nationalities, all backgrounds, all uh, stations of wealth as well. In fact, from 1890 to 1900, 655 888 immigrants arrived in the United States, of whom two-thirds were men. What, did you just say 650 888? Did I really? Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> 655,888. Okay. You just give that one word and it sounds oh, so man. much different. <laughs> oh. Man, anyone with a finance major or accounting major is like, why am I listening? <laughs> Because we're fun. Yep. Oh, good. Five stars. Five stars, yes. Uh, rate and subscribe. <laughs> uh, a lot of the Italians, of course, just a lot of immigrants in general, uh, arrived to the United States hoping to earn enough money to actually return back home and buy land. So America was just always kind of marketed as this place of great wealth, great prosperity. Anyone can make it here. If I can do it, you can do it type thing. So that influenced a lot of the immigrants coming over here, and their main goal was to actually go back and buy land for themselves in their homeland. And I mean, on paper, it was. That was what America was. I mean, mm-hmm. if you looked at it from the outside, because we had like such a good entertainment industry popping up, like this is when Charlie Chaplin was starting oh, yeah. to get popular. So we had a lot of really good things going on, but that's obviously just the veneer that's on the surface. And then down below, there's a ton of different areas of people that are not doing so good yep (laughs) so but these immigrants came with little cash or education uh since most were just peasant farmers in italy and they also lacked you know quote unquote like craft skills and just performed those uh manual labor jobs if they could find it like we talked about jobs are hard to come by for immigrants that came to the united states um they for a majority italian immigrants formed what would be known as Little Italy's in various U.S. City, US cities, ranging from Boston, specifically New York at this time, prim- primarily New York at this time, uh, where they could easily establish familiar cultural presence. Um, New York really will be the hub of a lot of it, mm-hmm. but it does very much go across the board once everything kind of settles into a routine. Mm-hmm. Because then, as we mentioned, Capone, he'll go to Chicago, and then we'll have people down in, like, Houston, and even over, like, on the other side of the, the country. So it, it crosses a lot of ground very quickly. Mm-hmm. And these little Italian neighborhoods, or little Italy's, I should say, uh, they kind of just stuck everyone in the older parts of the cities. 
So everyone was suffering from overcrowding, poor sanitation. This led to tons of illnesses, tons of sickness. Uh, so all in all, not a great time. Yeah, you pro- that's probably something you did learn about in school is like how bad conditions were in like factories and stuff like you with the rats getting ground into the meat at different packing plants and all that. It just was not a very good place to be sometimes. Yeah. Things were icky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we live in a very better, very much better time. Like I, when people say we want to go back to simpler times, I don't <laughs> think they understand how good we really do have it. <laughs> yeah. We have all the information. Literally in the world in our pockets. Yeah. And things are, san- like, for the most part, sanitary, and mm-hmm. we have good health care. <laughs> like, you won't die from getting sick right. for it'll, the most part. It'll, you'll just have to give up your arm to pay for it, I but say, that's a separate conversation. I say in a global pandemic. <laughs> in a global pandemic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're just giving crap to the sanitation efforts of early 1900s New York while we're just well, everyone's dying. Well, Biden's just like, good luck. <laughs> yeah. If they die, they die. Yeah. All right. Thank you, old man. But, um, yeah, but yeah, at this time, like all these disenfranchised groups coming over just wanted to do something with themselves. And as Evan mentioned, there's groups like the Black Hand popping up, which was going to be like a major player in this five points area of New York, which was a, a pretty much the central hub mm-hmm. of like where most of the big dealings happened. And so this is when a lot of these national, like different nationality groups kind of started meshing. Like the uh, the Jewish and Italian groups kind of started, it, it wasn't very like amicable. Like it was very limited numbers of different groups like going mm-hmm. together with each other, but it was happening on a small scale. And as one man later will kind of establish, organize all of them together, but for now, it's it's like a start of what it's very much going to turn into. Mm-hmm. But uh, with the rise of these little Italys, some criminals in the area uh, exploited the fact that everyone was just very homesick. No one really had any money except for a few. And some groups began popping up, known as the Black Hand, to extort the more prosperous Italians uh, in the neighborhoods. A crime that would eventually kind of grab New York by the throat. Like it was constantly covered in newspapers, constantly talked about. Um, these extortions were done anonymously, of course, and they were done by delivering threatening letters demanding money, signed with a crudely drawn symbol, like a knife or a skull, as well as typically some little black hand. Yeah. And there is an opposing group to the Black Hand that was majority Irish called the White Hand, mm-hmm. which is so clever. But and branding. Also, Irish are just like the whitest people, so it works. But uh, hello there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it, it. The Dead Rabbits were gone at this point. Like they got absorbed into the Five Points Gang. So there's definitely a hierarchy of different groups starting to establish themselves and eventually those groups would be the ones that make it out as one group and absorb all the little ones very true so people that received these threatening letters uh paid the black hand simply because they feared that american law really didn't exist and like these immigrants didn't i mean they've been in america for two days they don't understand what the laws are here quite yet uh, and they had no idea that there were things to help them, but at the same time, they 
couldn't go to the police because of that Omerta concept as well. And just going to read one example of one of these threatening letters uh, that, that were covered. Um, so here's an example. To Mr. Battaglia, another strong name. Do not think that we are dead. Look out for your face. A veil won't help you. Now is the occasion to give me $500 on account of that which you others don't know respect that from then. Oh my god, what is What this? is this writing? I, I kid you not, that's exactly was how it's written here. <laughs> to give, now is the occasion to give me $500 on account of that which you others don't know respect that from then to now you should have kissed my forehead. <laughs> I have been in your store, friend. Donate, how you respect him. He is an ignorant boob. <laughs> that I bring you others. I hope that all will end that we, when we are alone. They give me no peace as I deserve time. Loss that brings. You will know us neither. Some... <laughs> I swear to God, this is exactly how it's Why been. say a lot word with little <laughs> You have to give them props. I mean, they didn't have much education. They, so they, they were just out here grinding. They were like peasant farmers. I guess right. it's fair that he actually was able to write something coherent. But, well, somewhat coherent. I love oh that he calls God. him a boob. The boob, an ignorant boob. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh... And the Mafia. best part is you have to read, you, like, while you're listening to that, imagine it in, like, a Sicilian accent. <laughs> I was I was going to attempt an Italian a Sicilian accent, but that just would not do any justice. But to finish off this letter. I feel like all of them either talk like, hey, you know, Tony, or it's just like, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing, eh? <laughs> Those are like the only two voices I ever think of. Only <laughs> it's options. It's mafia, mafia yes. guys. Severely influenced by Mario. Yes. But to finish off this roller coaster of a letter, uh, mafia We're in not the done future. Yet. No. <laughs> mafia in the future will write in the bank where you must send the money without so many stories. Otherwise, you will pay for it. Okay, I. So, I have so after they read that 16 times, they finally understood that this was a threat. <laughs> the hilarious thing is I have three examples here, and I chose the one that does not make any sense. <laughs> I read the other two beforehand. I'm like, well, let's go through the other one. <laughs> and that's what I get for trying to mix it It was up. a calculated risk, but man, am I bad at math. <laughs> of that which you others don't know, respect that from that now to thou you should. <laughs> I thought you were having a stroke. When I you thought I was too. <laughs> I, like I'm halfway through a Coors Light. I'm like, am I hammered? I don't even know what's going on. Oh, that's funny. Holy cow! Well, that kind of just took away some of their uh, so, their viciousness. So watch out! <laughs> <laughs> watch out! Holy cow! But uh, the black hands, the hysteria of it, spread through the little Italy's of America as well as just New York as a whole. Um, the Cosmopolitan actually wrote about the. We'll say anti-Italian propaganda because they wrote it in the way that basically in the theme of if some Italians are doing it, all Italians can do it. So they wrote, no Italian is too lonely or too poor to embark as a black hander. All they need is a sheet of paper, pen and ink and enough knowledge of Italian to scrawl a few lines of demand and the accompanying threats are all that is necessary. 
it's it's just rough reading that and saying like if they're just barely intelligent enough to write something down yeah. after we just <laughs> read yeah. that phrase but yeah it's very much stereotyping and putting them into a, like a box and like it's a good way to res- grow resentment for a group of people yeah it uh not not great i mean that's a major publication a major newspaper basically saying if those italians can write don't trust them. Right. Not uh, a good precedent. No. The most infamous uh, incidents of the Black Hand actually came with the bombing of the Pascal Patti. So in January 1908, a bomb blew open the front of an Italian bank, uh, Pascal Patti and Son. It was the most successful Italian bank in New York, and uh, it apparently had close to 500,000 of earnings. Like in five hundred thousand in nineteen oh eight money. Yes, in nineteen oh eight money. It's <laughs> a lot of cash. That's a lot of moolah. Uh, the bank had the unusual marketing trick of just displaying piles of money behind their secured windows, of proof of their ability to pay depositors. Basically saying, someone tried to rob us, and then someone said, "Okay." Bet. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, the sun. Uh, was able to secure the money whilst the bomb throwers escaped in the crowds of Elizabeth Street. Uh, The bomb was actually not an attempt at robbery, but it was a warning from the Black Hand after the owners publicly announced that he would not fail, excuse me, fall for their attempts of extortion. After the explosion, however, nervous depositors began to withdraw their money in the... uh, (laughs) Equaling up to four hundred thousand of the five hundred thousand in four weeks. Yikes! <laughs> so this bank basically sunk. A couple months later, uh, three men claiming to be Black Hand entered the bank and escaped empty-handed. When Patty, uh, one of the owners, shot one of them, but he, Patty, the owner, kept on getting. More death threats, including one that said that he would be cut up like the victim of the barrel murder. Now, the barrel murder was another <laughs> uh, incident of black hands or just mafia shenanigans where they... Shenanigans. Shenanigans. Murder shenanigans. <laughs> they stabbed an individual 12 times in the neck, uh, cut his neck from ear to ear. He was fine, though, right? Yeah, he was completely fine. <laughs> uh, cut his neck from ear to ear. Uh, apparently it almost, they almost tore off his entire head with the cuts and the stabs, stuffed him into a barrel. And while they were transporting the body, police say that it fell off the back of a wagon and then ended up in the river. And then eventually some people found it like, Ooh, look at this barrel. And then just found this mutilated body. <laughs> That's like the people that used that. I don't remember what that app is, Randonaut, I think it's called. Oh, yeah. Where they went randonauting in Oregon, I think, and they found a dead body in a yeah. suitcase. <laughs> right, that uses, like, a GPS or, like, actual coordinates. To yeah, you, like, put in your intention or whatever, and it sends you coordinates. Oh, man. But uh, eventually, the bank had to shut down, quite simply, due to these threats, as well as the owners went mysteriously missing. Mysterious. Take that for what you will. If you can't tell... Once it turned, once a century turned into the 1900s, like 
it was very much a lawless wasteland. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it was pretty much a turning point in how violent things got. Mm-hmm. But the... <laughs> Sorry, just in my slides, I went past the slide with that letter again. <laughs> the, uh, you don't want to read it again? Do you want me to? No, no. <laughs> Spare our listeners. Literally all the listeners are like, no, no. Actually, someone do us a favor. Listen to me reading that letter at half speed. No, actually at like high speed. And just like send it in. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. Um, the Black Ant finally came to a quote unquote end in 1909 when Giuseppe Morello who was the leader of the very first and most powerful mafia gang in New York, uh, was arrested in connection with counterfeiting. And the police found a series of black hand letters found at his home. Agent Flynn of the Secret Service described the way in which the mafia leader used the letters, adding a slight twist to the more simplistic methods of the lesser criminals. So what the actual mafia would do, saying that they were the black hand, And Sorry, let me back up. This is a quote from Agent Flynn of the Secret Service. A threatening letter is sent to a proposed victim. Immediately after the letter is delivered by the postman, Morello just happens to be in the vicinity of the victim and accidentally meets the receiver of the letter. The receiver knows of Morello's close connections with Italian malefactors, and the thing being fresh in mind calls Morello's attention to the letter. Morello takes the letter and reads it. He informs the receiver that victims are not killed off without ceremony and just for the sake of murder. The Black Hand chief himself declares he will locate the man who sent the letter, if such a thing is possible. The victim, never suspecting that the letter is actually from Morello, of course, the letter is never returned to the proposed victim, and by this cunning procedure, no evidence remains in the hand of the receiver of the letter should he wish to seek aid from the police. So basically, they would deliver the letter, Morello would be there, he would get the letter, he would dispose of the letter, but the letter would always have information on where to like drop off money. So the person that got the letter would go to the drop-off place with the money and could never go to the cops saying, like, hey, I received this letter, because they just didn't have the letter anymore. Yeah. Because Morello got back to it, or it, got it and disposed yeah. of it. Crafty. Crafty. <laughs> Very crafty. Oh, goodness. But that is where our story ends of the Black Hands, and this is where we pick up in the 1910s with more mafia shenanigans. Well, yeah, that's. The, I think we're gonna cut the episode there, and we'll cut. We'll, we'll pick it up with, uh, yeah, the 1910s and on with the prohibition and how that changed changed things, and how pretty much the mafia became what it would turn it like what it would carry on to be up until. Pretty much today, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in a lesser extent now, but that's just what they want us to think. Well, as you'll see, that <laughs> deli owners are <laughs> are keeping logs. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently that was a shockingly. <laughs> I was just sitting at work, like this is the dumbest article. Like this yeah. is the dumbest thing I ever read. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to tell you until next week, so you have to tune back in. Yes, but yeah, thank you guys all for listening. Uh, if you want to keep in touch with us we do have social medias evan will give you those handles now you can find us on instagram mix up the instagram one first at gems underscore of underscore history underscore podcast you can also find us on twitter at gems underscore history you can find jacob on twitter at jacob from wisco and then you can find myself at whatevskis and tiktok oh yeah and t- 
I always forget about our TikTok. That's Gems of History <laughs> Even you're Pod. always sending me TikToks. I am constantly sending you TikToks. Didn't you say last episode that you were trying to stay off TikTok? It is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't, didn't work too well. I've said a lot of things on these <laughs> airwaves. <laughs> show me the records. Yeah, show me the records. Yeah, if you want to get in touch with us on email, we have an email, gemsofhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and like I said earlier, if you guys like what you're listening to, if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, that would be awesome. It would help us out get get more eyes on us. So that would be cool. Or ears. That too. But uh, yeah, I think that's all we got for you guys this week. And then we'll be back next week with the American Mafia Part 2 and the Prohibition fun that happens in the 1920s and on. <laughs> American Mafia 2, Prohibition Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next week.